Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Happy New Year. Happy 2022, everyone. Will it be better? Will it be worse? Well. Stay tuned. Yeah. RIP to the legend, Betty White. I mean. Yeah, rip. Goddamn. But hey, she had amazing comedic timing going out the way she did. And she, <laughs> now, I'm not saying that she picked the night that she died, but she did pick a night where the entire nation did cheers to her. So that's pretty sweet listen sure we have i mean been, you know <laughs> we have been traveling all day long oh this is gonna be a delirious episode and it is currently almost 11 o'clock california time which is like what feels to us because we were just in new york for a week like two like two in the morning yeah so we're like two in the morning recording right now after yeah. a whole day of travel so if we so get a little we'll loopy We'll see. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> That'll be why. And anyway. you know, we're we are also live from Wondery Studios, yeah. and we have special guest Doja Cat oh. coming on halfway through to do a live performance halftime show of Get Into It. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Anyway, let's get into it because we are starting off 2022 with a bang. I mean, this is a big story. I didn't realize how big it was going to be, but I just, I read another book as my source and I feel like whenever I read a book for my source, it just becomes 20 pages of 11 size font, single spaced notes. (laughs) You know, they found enough for an entire book. That's true. Right? So (laughs) That's true. So let's get into it. All right. Today... We are going to be talking about Sarah Brady. And my source for this week's story was Saving Grace, which is a book written by Sarah Brady, Patrick Crowley, and Eric Dieters. Sarah Brady was born on February 4th, 1979 in Newport, Kentucky to Connie and William Brady. She had two sisters, three half-brothers, and a half-sister. And she described her childhood as, We were poor as dirt. Sarah's young life was difficult, and her father was an independent carpet layer, which was a job that constantly relocated their family out of financial necessity, and her early years were filled with moving from state to state, living in trailers, constantly changing schools, experiencing evictions and homelessness, and having very few material possessions. Sarah was close with her sisters and her mother, but her father was pretty absent throughout her childhood. Her mother and father didn't have a very good relationship, and when her father was around, they would fight constantly. Sarah was a quiet and independent child, which makes sense since she was perpetually the new kid and not having the foundation of a two-parent home. But despite the hardships, Sarah enjoyed learning and succeeding academically because the classroom provided a measure of stability that she didn't have at home, and studying helped her escape from reality. When Sarah was in the fourth grade, her teachers called her parents to suggest that she be put in classes for gifted children, which is actually what ultimately separated her parents because her father had said that Sarah should not be placed in advanced classes because a woman's place is at home and all she needed to do was learn how to cook and sew. Right. So Sarah's mother obviously felt differently about that and stood up to her husband. Yes. (laughs) She knew that Sarah's education could be her, her only ticket out of poverty and she wanted Sarah to have everything that she never did. So she packed up all their belongings, gathered her girls, and left her husband and moved in with Sarah's maternal grandmother. 
Sarah attended Holmes High School, where she made the honor roll, ran cross-country, played indoor soccer, made the cheerleading squad all four years, and was chosen to be homecoming queen in her senior year. Miss popularity over here. She's killing it. Yeah. She had a few boyfriends at the beginning of high school, but never had a steady boyfriend until she met Scott Hatton. Sarah and Scott began dating in February of her junior year, and Scott, who was 17, already had a 10-month-old son. But but despite Scott spending as much time as he could with his son, Sarah and Scott maintained a fairly normal high school relationship. Both Scott and Sarah were popular. He was, you know, a gifted athlete and she was a cheerleader. So they were the it couple, maybe. Probably. Where's his baby mama? They split up. So is she just taking care of the kid? Yeah. What happens to his child well, during he and, the day? He and his girlfriend or his child's mother split up amicably. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they just decided that they would co-parent. But Sarah was, you know, in there since pretty much 10 months, you know, into her baby, into his baby's life. So she definitely took on a, like a motherly role as well. Wow. Yeah. What so a she, scene. Yeah. It's not even like teenage step parents. It's like teenage step girlfriend. <laughs> step what do you even call that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, since day one, she was like in it to be a mother, which is what our story is about, everyone. For sure. I mean, you know, it seems Being like they're mother. handling it fairly well for teenagers. Oh, yeah. You know? For 17 year olds. That's very mature. Um, but after high school, Sarah stayed in Covington, which is where she and Scott lived, which is in Kentucky. And she started working a customer service job with Star Bank. She also enrolled in Northern Kentucky University, which was a state college in Kentucky, not far from Covington. And eventually the couple saved up enough money and rented an apartment. And in 2002, they got engaged during Christmas time. They often talked about having a baby, but the idea was scary, not only because of their financial situation, but also because doctors had told Sarah that she would most likely never be able to conceive. That was until June of 2004, when Sarah had missed her period and was feeling sick at one of Scott's son's baseball tournaments. And she told Scott that something was wrong and told him that she needed to go. And before she left, he suggested that she take a pregnancy test. So Scott's mother took Sarah to a grocery store to grab a pregnancy test, and when she got home, she took it, and sure enough, it came back positive. Sarah immediately burst into tears because she didn't know whether or not to be happy or if she should be afraid. Scott's son was only nine years old at the time, and Sarah had helped raise his son since he was only 10 months old, so most of her money went to caring for him. And she was terrified they wouldn't be able to afford another child, even though she wanted a baby so much. But this was the first time in years that Scott was working a steady construction job, and at the time, Sarah was making around $50,000 a year at the bank that she was working at, so the couple decided that they would be able to make it work. That's not bad. No. For, what, 2004? Yeah. 50K a year? That's not bad. Yeah, no, it's not. And and he's got a job? They could do it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. We love the confidence. Yeah. <laughs> they, they figured, hey, hey so we can You know work. a lot about raising children, Alex, and the economics of such. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and after that, the news of their baby was very exciting, and they were thrilled along with both of their families. Sarah had a normal pregnancy, and as her February 2005 due date quickly approached, her friends and family had a baby shower for Sarah. And she had no idea that expectant parents registered for gifts like couples do for their weddings. So she signed up to make a registry at stores like Target and Walmart and, of course, Babies R Us. I mean, I didn't know that either. 
you make a, a registry. Yeah, you it's like like a wish list. Yeah, it's like a, a like wish a list. Really on... specific wish list. Yeah, you say, hey, if you're coming to my baby shower, I want this bouncy seat. And then someone can say, hey, I got you this bouncy seat. And you're like, oh, my God, I wanted that. I have, I, yeah, I, like, I specifically said that one. That's exactly right. Do people right. coordinate, like, what to get? I think it would, because you, like, you're on a registry website, the people who are coming to your party be like, I'm getting this. I think. I, think I could be wrong. That's how it should work, right? It would make sense. All right, move on. Yeah. This is me being ignorant. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. But, so they had this baby shower. Sarah was super enjoying her pregnancy. Her due date was coming up really quick. And on February 8th, 2005, 26-year-old Sarah was sitting at home anxiously looking forward to the birth of her daughter. She was already past her due date, so she knew that she was ready to pop at any moment. And at this... You like that? Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone, as one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. <laughs> Just noises and like how you describe her about to have a child. She was about being to pop. Ready to pop. Well, I She's mean, popping off. She, well, yeah, in so many words. But at the time, Sarah and Scott were now planning to get married once the baby had arrived. Wait, they got engaged before this, right? Yeah, they had been engaged for a while, but they planned not to get married because of, like, financial reasons. They were like, we'll just put it off for another time. But now they were finally like, okay, the baby's coming. We're going to get married. Even though just a few weeks earlier, Sarah had been laid off from her job as a mortgage collector. So she had a lot on her mind. So when the phone rang that afternoon, she ignored it because she thought that it was just another bill collector trying to reach her. By this time, it was 4 p.m. and Sarah was lost in thought about all the errands she still needed to run for the day. So when the phone rang for a second time, she just reflexively grabbed the phone and answered it. A woman's voice greeted her and then asked for Sarah. And Sarah just said, she's not here because she didn't want to deal with any bullshit of, you know, hey, bill amen. collectors and things like that. Amen. She's like, no, nah, I got I got stuff to do, so I don't she's not here. But the woman answered back, "Oh, well, this is Sarah. I'll just try back." Uh-huh. So, before Sarah could even respond, the line went dead. And she thought this was odd, so she looked at the caller ID, which was the number for an animal shelter, which was strange because she didn't know anyone at an animal shelter, but there was nothing she could do about it now, so she just moved on with her day. The next morning, Sarah was woken up by her phone ringing nonstop. And she let it ring for most of the morning because she was so tired and needed rest, you know, since she was past nine months of pregnancy. And she figured that it was just Scott's grandmother who was calling because she called all the time. She lived in a nursing home and would call Scott and Sarah regularly since she always wanted to talk about the baby. So Sarah was like, I'm just going to let her get her calls out. Yeah, let I'm, her fizzle out. I'm asleep. Like, do not answer. Dude, grandma's hype for the baby. She is. And finally, the calls were so much that Sarah finally got sick of the incessant ringing and answered the phone. And to her surprise, it wasn't Scott's grandmother. It was the woman who had called the night before asking for Sarah. 
And this time, the woman told Sarah that her name was also Sarah, Sarah Brody. And just for the sake of keeping things clear and not confusing, I'm going to call this woman Sarah Brody, and I'm going to call Sarah, who is our main character that we've heard so much about, I'm just going to call her Sarah. But the two women's names are Sarah Brody and Sarah Brady. Wow, this is too close. (laughs) Well, yeah. Just call her Brody, and then we'll just call Sarah Sarah. Well, I'm going to call Sarah Sarah, and I'm going to call Sarah Brody Sarah Brody, okay? Sure. Okay, glad we got that settled. (laughs) So Sarah Brody had told Sarah that she had gotten her name from the Babies R Us registry site, and she had actually been trying to reach her for a couple of weeks. And Sarah asked if there was something wrong, and the woman told her that she had received a package from Babies R Us that she believed belonged to Sarah. Sarah Brody rattled off a few items that she had received, but Sarah told her that she wasn't expecting anything from anyone, so it was probably just a mistake. And that was until Sarah Brody had said one of the items in the box was a Winnie the Pooh baby bottle. And that's when Sarah started thinking, okay, wait, this could actually be my package. Because on her registry with Babies R Us, she had listed a bunch of baby items that had characters from the classic stories created by A.A. Milne. Is Shout that, out AA, no idea. I don't know if that's no idea. if I he pronounced made, that wrong. They made Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Amazing. Right. So Sarah asked this woman if she had the gift receipt to know who had sent the package. And Sarah Brody told her that her husband had put the receipt somewhere so she wasn't sure who it was from. Sarah Brody then asked Sarah if she was still pregnant. And at the time, Sarah didn't think anything of it since the woman had received some of her baby items. And it's kind of a normal question, I guess, to talk about your pregnancy. I I mean, she knows, right, from the registry? Yeah. And Sarah Brody also told her that she had contacted Toys R Us about the mix-up, but they were no help. So she found Sarah's information through the registry website. And since their names were so close together, she figured that it was just for Sarah. Fishy. Mm, Fishy. You don't say. How close are their houses? Like 15 minutes apart. It's a pretty big fuck up on the delivery. <laughs> yeah. Off of just a name? Yeah. So Sarah... It actually, don't, doesn't the registry actually provide the exact address? It, it sure does, That's Alex. That's funny. Yes. <laughs> so uh. Sarah Brody told Sarah that she needed the package out of her house since she was in the process of moving. So Sarah told her that it was no problem and she'd come by tomorrow morning to pick everything up. With an AK, just in case. <laughs> well, no. So actually, Sarah Brody <laughs> had told Sarah that she would bring it to Sarah's house. Like, she's like, oh, I'll just bring your package over. And Sarah was like, oh, no, you've already gone out of your way to, like, find me and contact me and whatever. And, like, don't even worry about it. I'll come to you. But then, okay. yeah, but then Sarah Brody was like, okay, perfect. We're in, the, we're in the process of moving right now. So if you could come soon, that'd be preferable. Okay, mm. great. So the next morning came. And Sarah pulled up to Sarah Brody's apartment complex in Fort Mitchell, which, like I said, was just about 15 minutes from Covington. And it was a two-story brick building with white trim. And as she rolled up, Sarah Brody was standing in the doorway, holding a cat and wearing her PJs. Sarah's first impression of her was that she looked very pregnant herself, even more so than Sarah, which is saying a lot because Sarah Mm -hmm. Brady was past her nine-month due date. Mm Mm-hmm. So when she saw Sarah Brody, she noticed that she had a chubby face. She seemed also as if she was about to burst. And she was also very pale, most likely from spending all of her time indoors. So Sarah Brody greeted her at the door and led her inside the apartment and closed the door behind them. 
Inside her apartment, Sarah noticed that something felt off. She didn't really know exactly what, but she's like, this feels a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. So Mama's spidey senses are kicking in. Yes. Sarah Brody had furniture in the room, but for whatever reason, it felt empty. And there weren't any pictures on the walls or anything to make it feel as if someone lived there. But they were moving, right? Correct. So that's why Sarah was like, okay, maybe you're just overreacting. They're moving. They're probably just packing up their things. Sarah Brody walked further into her apartment and then came back into the room holding a Toys R Us box. So she told Sarah that she was sorry that her husband had lost the receipt and that he was away on a work trip. And she then told Sarah that she was also overdue and had an appointment at the hospital to be induced tomorrow afternoon since her husband was coming back from his work trip tonight. So Sarah Brody's like, sick, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have my baby tomorrow. And Sarah's like, whoa, cool. No way. Yeah. And now I am also about to pop. Yeah, exactly. And Sarah now kind of has this like weird feeling go away. And she's like, oh, cool. Like you actually do have a package for me. You're just an also an expectant mother. Like, nice. That's disarming. Yeah. And at first, Sarah felt bad for taking the Toys R Us package since she didn't know for sure that it was for her, but Sarah Brody insisted. And she also said, there's actually supposed to be another box coming, so if it shows up at my place again, I'll hold on to the gift receipt this time. That way you know who it's from. And Sarah thanked her for everything and left the apartment. So this one's fine. This trip is pretty normal, if you ask me. But we're going to get to the crazy bit. When Sarah got home, she told her mother about where she had been that day, and her mom was definitely weirded out by the whole scenario. She thought it was very strange that someone would go through all of that trouble just to find Sarah. But Sarah felt bad for Sarah Brody because she seemed really lonely, and Sarah said she just seemed like a good enough person who just didn't have really anyone to talk to. Like, Sarah Brody Mm. told her that her husband was away on work all the time, and her family lived in St. Louis, and she had no friends, and they were moving, and all this stuff, so she just seemed like she needed a friend. So Sarah was still very disarmed by the whole thing. But later that night, Scott handed Sarah the phone again and told her that it was once again Sarah Brody. And when Sarah answered the phone, Sarah Brody told her that she had received another package with a Fisher-Price bouncy seat later that day after Sarah had left her apartment. And Sarah thought, oh, that also must be my package because she had listed that bouncy seat on her registry as well. And so knowing that Sarah Brody was supposed to be induced tomorrow afternoon, Sarah told her, it's no big deal. I can pick it up after you have the baby since tomorrow will be a huge day for you. Right. Which would be a very normal, (laughs) a very normal response. But Sarah Brody insisted that Sarah come back tomorrow morning to get it since she'd be moving soon and she just wanted it out of her house. So Sarah assured her that she'd come back tomorrow morning to get her package because now she's like, okay, well, I can't tell this very pregnant woman no, you know, (laughs) like... I mean, I guess you could, but it sounded like she wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah, exactly. And Sarah felt as if they were bonding at this point since they were both young and on the brink of having their babies. And they actually ended up talking on the phone for 45 minutes on this phone call. Oh, wow. So they started, you know, bonding, kind of. Sarah Brody even told Sarah that she was extremely excited about this baby because she and her husband were on their third try with in vitro fertilization and they didn't want to do adoption because she specifically wanted a newborn and since she was adopted when she was eight years old, she wanted a baby of her own. So Sarah Brody is just like spilling all this information and Sarah's like, 
okay, sure, sounds great. Yep. And after their lengthy, detailed conversation, Sarah told Sarah Brody that she would come back to her house tomorrow at 9 a.m. That way, she would have plenty of time before she had to go to the hospital to be induced. So the next morning rolls around, and Sarah had overslept a little and woke up just after 9 a.m. So feeling terrible, she immediately called Sarah Brody and told her that she was so sorry that she had overslept since she knew that she was most likely getting ready to go to the hospital. And Sarah told the woman, I can absolutely come by another day. Just focus on yourself today. But strangely enough, Sarah Brody insisted that she come back to her house that day and come get her gift. And at this point, Sarah started to get weirded out that something as trivial as a bouncy seat would matter on such an important day. But she just chalked it up to the pregnancy hormones and once again made the short drive to Sarah Brody's home and again was greeted by Sarah Brody at the front door. What was different about this trip into Sarah Brody's apartment was once they made it inside, Sarah heard the door click as Sarah Brody locked it behind them. Oh, okay. (laughs) And that gave her a strange feeling, but still she was kind of ignoring it because people lock their doors. So she's just trying not to overthink it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, because we're telling it, I'm very skeptical. Well, that's... You understand? You understand. Yes, I do understand. Sarah then asked where her husband was since he was supposed to get back last night. Yeah, and where the she's, fuck is he, Sarah? Right, she's supposed mm-hmm. to have a baby today. And apparently, Sarah Brody's husband hadn't made it back yet, and he had called last night and said that he got stuck and would re- return home later in the morning. But, of course, hearing that, Sarah was concerned because she's like, you know you're going to have a baby later. Don't you think your husband should, like, be here? I don't know. Are you worried about it? (laughs) Right. But Sarah Brody just said, let me get your stuff and walked into another room. She did return only a few moments later with a bouncy seat, which eased some of Sarah's nerves again because she's like, okay, this is still just an exchanging of goods. Everything is fine. Sure. But when she asked who sent it, Sarah Brody said she had, again, misplaced the receipt and had to go look for it. Mm. So for about 15 minutes, Sarah waited as Sarah Brody searched around her apartment for this receipt. Don't care who it's from. Just get out of there. (laughs) You got the bouncy seat. And this is when the uneasiness came back to Sarah. She didn't want to be rude and leave, but at this point, the vibes were off and she wanted to get out of there. Mm Mm-hmm. And she did try to make up excuses, like, I'll just call my sister and see who sent it, or when you find it, I'll come back another day and get it. But Sarah Brody insisted that Sarah wait, and she also started to insist that Sarah help her look for it. So now the two women are going around her apartment and searching for this receipt that does not exist. That nobody cares about also. (laughs) Right. So she led Sarah into her nursery and showed her everything and asked asked her, isn't this wonderful? Because she walked into the room and it was a completely stocked to the brim nursery. I mean, she was, as far as Sarah knows, going to be induced that day. So it was very set up for her incoming baby. Incoming. (laughs) Incoming baby. Her imminent soul. And she was clearly very excited to have a baby and wanted to talk about it. But after the nursery, the woman walked down the hall to Sarah Brody's bedroom to continue looking. What time is it? It's morning. It's like just past 9 a.m. 
I'm just saying, like, how close is it to her appointment? Isn't it starting to get weird? Yeah, that, yes, everything is starting to get weird. I mean, every, everything, including that. Right. right. And her husband still isn't here. This, you know, husband who's on a work trip who was supposed to come back last night, and she's getting induced in, like, the afternoon, and now it's, like, probably near 10 a.m. I don't know, man. Kentucky traffic, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fort Mitchell <laughs> traffic, man. That shit's rough. It's rough. Um, so now the two women are in Sarah Brody's bedroom and Sarah just kind of stood there as Sarah Brody rummaged through her things. And as she was looking around the room, she noticed the only picture that Sarah Brody had in her house. And it was... Hold on. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. So she's going to get induced Mm -hmm. and she has a full nursery set up. Correct. And is moving. Correct. Yes. Like that day. Mm. Right. Or soon thereafter. Right. Seems a bit of like a contradiction, but... Okay. I just, I put that together. I would like to be like... Point it out. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Have you ever tried to move with a newborn? It must be hell. That sounds like... You know? That sounds like hell. Yeah, no. If you've ever tried moving with a newborn... Don't. Write it in. (laughs) Write in your story and let me know what that was like. (laughs) Could you imagine we get one? I feel like that constitutes as like a survival. (laughs) Oh, that's a... Even if you took like a newborn on a plane, like in the first three months... Oh, God. Yeah, that's a survival story, honey. (laughs) (laughs) That's a survival story if I've ever heard one. (laughs) But so... Sarah is just standing there as Sarah Brody is looking through her things. And like I said, she notices the only picture that she has in her apartment. And it's weird. Okay. So it was a photo on her nightstand of the leading women of the TV show Sex in the City, which was odd enough. But to make it even more eerie, all of their faces were scratched out. Okay, this bitch crazy. Okay, it's a little... It's <laughs> She's a little, crazy. Yeah, it's a little crazy. And then she saw, like... A name, like names were written above the women, but she couldn't read uh, any of the names. Then she saw that next to the photo was a pack of cigarettes. Do pregnant women mm, smoke cigarettes? I mean, you're not supposed not to. Not really. And as she was looking, Sarah Brody went to grab a box from underneath her bed. And when Sarah saw this happening, she told Sarah Brody, please let me help you with that because she didn't want this very, very pregnant woman who was going to have a baby that day to like hurt herself or you know strain herself but i mean sarah herself was about to pop so well that probably wasn't what she was thinking about but it was more so like a let me help you out as like another mother to another mother whatever anyway (laughs) so sarah bent down next to sarah brody's bed to assist her in getting this box out from underneath the bed but when she looked under the bed there was no box there was nothing under the bed and Sarah Brody kept up this act of where could it be? And she just like walked around and kept looking for things. And she called to Sarah as she like walked back into the living room. So she's like, oh, just let's go back in the living she's room. She's improving. Yes. <laughs> yes, she is. It's, God, like I feel like psychos are so good at this shit where it's like any normal person would have done something off. But they just roll with it. Yeah. Effortlessly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure of what this woman's actual. Uh, I don't know. If we're talking diagnosis about. Was. If, if it's going in the direction that I'm envisioning, it's mm-hmm. not going to be good and probably would be behavior I would describe as psychopathic. That, yeah, that checks out. Or something's wrong. Something is definitely Something's wrong. Something's not good. We She's can say not that. well. 
We can say that with 100% certainty, this woman is unwell. Yeah. Okay. So she walks away into the living room and she calls back to Sarah. She's like, oh, come back into the living room. We'll keep looking. As Sarah is coming back up from like looking underneath the bed, she's kind of like on all, all fours and she's at eye level with Sarah Brody's nightstand. And just by happenstance, she notices an inhaler, an asthma inhaler on this woman's nightstand. And she saw something that sent a shiver down her spine because on the inhaler was written Katie Smith. Uh, so uh? that's when fear completely washed over Sarah as she started to put everything together. The phone calls out of the blue, the woman's insistence of getting close to Sarah, the fact that she was scheduled to have her baby today, but her husband wasn't there, the but cigarettes. Moving. Yeah, the cigarettes on her nightstand. And now she's wondering. Who is this woman and is Katie Smith her real name? Yeah, you gotta improv now. Improv your way out of this. Yeah, to so the front door. As Sarah cautiously walked back into the living room, she heard the woman on the phone with her supposed husband. And Sarah stood there uncomfortably as Sarah Brody, aka Katie Smith, argued over the phone because apparently he called to tell her that he wouldn't make it home for the birth of their child. So now we're just gonna call her Katie because that's her name. Katie is agitated once she hangs up the phone and starts yelling about how she thinks her husband is cheating on her. So she's still going on this huge charade and just improving her face off. And Sarah tried to console her by saying that she was sure that her husband was just still stuck at work, but Katie just kept yelling about how he cheated before and she walked back down the hallway to her bedroom. I have a great idea for her. Pretend that you're going into labor foreshadowing no no that's a bit of foreshadowing okay i'm sorry i, I gave it away okay. no it's okay you didn't give it away but we're, okay. we're just gonna talk about okay. it so right as she left the room sarah who was still in the living room stood there and thought about how she should just leave she's like maybe i should just walk the fuck up out of here like this is too much but as soon as she had that thought she heard a piercing scream come from Katie's bedroom. And when Sarah got back there, she found the woman laying on the ground, screaming and saying she thinks she was in labor. Bah, bah, bah. Oh God, it was, she beat her to it. That's like, well, that's, that, yes, you predicted it, but reverse. And sure. she asked Sarah if she could help her into the bathroom. So Sarah, who was past nine months pregnant, had to strain every muscle in her body to help Sarah Brody, this woman who she doesn't even know if it's her real name or not, off the floor and slowly into a tiny little bathroom. So picture two very pregnant women in, a t in, in our bathroom. Our bathroom is like a closet. Like, picture that. But it's like a nice closet. No, it's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very small bathroom. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is a funny scene. Yeah. How long did it take them to get out? Also, okay. This is a great opportunity for her to call 911, right? You'd think, but she's not with a phone. She's helping this woman into the bathroom. Katie has a phone. She was yelling at her husband on it. Yeah, but it was in the living room. Go to the living room. Well, she's helping a woman who's in labor. You can sit there and be in labor. We don't need to argue about this. I'll just keep <laughs> telling you about the story. <laughs> okay. So she still wanted to leave. No, I'm sorry. Just as she fakes going into labor, she also fakes going into labor. Sarah also starts screaming. <laughs> and she's like, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. She runs. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that would be quite the scene. 
But no, but Sarah like feels genuinely conflicted because, oh, I, because I get it. She, she's like, I am kind of scared of this person who I don't know who it is and I'm getting very bad feelings, but also I'm not going to leave this woman who is in labor because yeah, I am also a mother or an, an expectant mother and I wouldn't want someone to leave me, you know? And this was her first baby, so she had no idea what labor was actually like. And she saw this woman in what seemed like excruciating pain. Yeah. And she's a good person. So she's like, well, I'm going to help her because right. I'm not going to leave her in pain. Yeah. Birth doesn't seem like a, you know. An easy thing to do. A pain-free activity. No. T- <laughs> you know. That is the understatement of <laughs> the year. Happy 2022, everyone. But anyway. Um, We're starting out with labor. So Sarah Brody, aka Katie Smith, just call her Katie. We're gonna jig call is her. up. The jig is up. We're calling her Katie. Katie cried as the two women tried to squeeze into her tiny bathroom, but when they both got in there with barely enough room for two pregnant women to move, it was a, as if Katie transformed into a completely new and frightening person. She went from a frantic mother on the verge of giving birth to suddenly calm and composed as she quietly stared. At Sarah with a just a demonic oh. look on her face. Oh, I got chills. Yeah. Oh, for God. just like the contrast would be. Yeah. Ch- oh. And this is like I said, a tiny bathroom with no room to move in, and Katie is standing in front of the door. Okay. So as Sarah watched a wave of evil wash over this woman's face, she released her grip and felt paralyzed with fear. So trying to calm the situation, Sarah asked if. Katie's water had broken. She didn't say Katie. She said, has your water broken? And told her to check. And this did redirect her focus away from Sarah for a moment. And she took full advantage of that and brushed past her and started back down the hallway toward the front door. And as soon as she got into the living room, she grabbed her purse and Katie walked down the hallway with a lit cigarette in her mouth as if nothing had happened and said, I don't know what's wrong. That's a good face you have right now. She just lit a cigarette on the way down the hall. Yeah, and walked down there. I don't know what's wrong. Yeah. It's like, you were giving death screams, like, literally not 60 seconds ago. Mm Mm-hmm. That's correct. Hello? So Sarah told her she needed to call the doctor or 911 since her husband wasn't there yet, and Sarah needed to get the fuck up out of there. But Katie asked Sarah to stay while she was on the phone, so she left the room and called the doctor. But she found the call strange, meaning Sarah found it strange. She's smoking a cigarette. (laughs) The jig is up. Get out of there. It's done. So Sarah found this call between Katie and the doctor strange because when she called, she gave her name and her address as well. And giving your name to the doctor is fine and makes sense, but giving your address is a little... It was just weird. Are they making a home call? Right. No, they're not. So it was just... It didn't make sense. So Katie told Sarah once she was off the phone that the doctor said that she'll be fine until she's induced and asked if Sarah could stay with her until her husband gets home. And Sarah was like, no, heart. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Like, no, I've got to go. I have to go have a baby, too. Yeah, I also have to go have a baby. Away, yes. Away from you. Yes. (laughs) 
But before Sarah could leave, Katie said, wait, let me just give you some formula coupons. So she's just making up another what thing. The fuck? No, keep the coupons. <laughs> keep your coupons. I don't want them. So she went and got these coupons and she's like, take them. So Sarah is nervously flipping through them and her heart skipped a beat again when she saw on one of the labels, it said, quote, especially for Katie Smith. So yeah. we know that her, she, her name's Katie mm-hmm. Smith. Like... At that point, Sarah was like, yeah, I got a blast. But Katie said, can I please just give you a hug since you've been so nice to me? And Sarah stood at the front door, clutching her purse and keys, trying to give her the nonverbal cue of do not touch me, you know, like body language. But Katie reached out and just bear hugged Sarah before she could say anything. And Sarah tried to pull away, but Katie hugged her tighter until she was literally squeezing her as hard as she could. And in that moment, Hello? Mommy. In that moment, in that moment, Katie Smith grabbed a four-inch hunting knife out of her front pocket of her sweatshirt and screamed, bitch, you're not going anywhere. And the fight I'm about to explain to you took place over 20 minutes, which is a long-ass time to be fighting for your life. Lifetime. 20 minutes. 20 minutes is a lifetime because when we told the Brie Lasley story, I think that was about six to eight minutes and we got a whole episode. Brie Lasley, that's, um, she and her sister were fighting for her life, right? When the guy broke in. Right. And her sister went and got help, but she had to like fight for an entire six to eight minutes. Yeah. And and I remember you telling that, like that step-by-step fight and it's sounding like an eternity. Yeah. And that's, this, this one's more than double that. Yeah. Go back and listen to it. It's like... There's just like so many things that yeah. had literally happened in seconds. Yes. So, sorry. so here we go here into we go. a 20 minute Jesus. battle. So Katie lifted the knife over her head and lunged at Sarah, but Sarah was able to knock the knife out of Katie's hand. And Katie then grabbed Sarah's hair, which was up in a ponytail and forced her forward and flipped her over the arm of the love seat in her living room. And not even a second later, Katie was on top of Sarah landing punches over and over again. Sarah managed to block a few of the punches and rolled herself on top of Katie to stop her and then got up from the love seat and made it to the front door. So she tried to like run to the front door, but she realized she didn't have her purse or keys with her. But at that point, she just wanted to get out of the door and unlocked it. But before she made it out the apartment, Katie grabbed Sarah by her shirt and pulled her back inside. And she said this felt very much like a girl in a horror movie feeling because she was grasping at the door handle and being pulled completely back inside. Oh my God. She didn't even get the door open? No, she just got it unlocked. And her her, like hand was on the doorknob and she got pulled back into the apartment. And Sarah started screaming for help, but this only made Katie angrier as she grabbed Sarah's hair once again and then covered her mouth and pulled her to the floor, telling her that no one could hear her, so she needed to quit screaming. And Sarah's face hit the floor and pain shot through her body as she felt Katie's entire weight pressing down onto her and more importantly, her baby, because she's laying face down at this point. So Katie's entire weight is on Sarah and her baby. And Katie then grabbed a clear candy dish or like an ashtray and began hitting Sarah on the back of the head with it as hard as she could. But Sarah still very much had fight in her and she found the strength to push Katie off of her back and get a hold of the candy dish herself and start wailing it on Katie's head as hard as she could until Katie wasn't really moving. But at that point, Sarah got off of Katie because she's like, 
what am I doing? I'm about to kill a pregnant woman. Like this yes, is kill her. This is not this is not who I am. This is not what I want to do. And so she got up off of the floor and off of Katie and got to the door again. But somehow Katie got up again as if nothing had happened and again said, you're not going anywhere. And she told Sarah she didn't want to hurt her, but then she said she was going to leave just like everyone else leaves her. So Sarah cried and told her that they needed to go to the hospital because they both need to, needed to take care of their babies and Katie was supposed to give birth today. So she's just trying to talk some sense into this crazy woman. But Katie said no, and then she started talking about how her husband would be home soon and she needed to clean up this mess. So she's just in like a manic state. But Sarah begged this woman to let her go, but nothing was working. So she finally decided to use her real name. She told Katie to leave her alone, hoping that it would somehow stop her. So she finally said, Katie, you need to leave me alone, which up to this point, she had never said Katie. She was still calling her Sarah. And she was hoping that this would have some sort of, I don't know, calming effect or maybe not calming, but just kind of snap her out of whatever sort of episode she was in. But it very much had the opposite effect because it enraged Katie so much so that she grabbed the knife again and ran at Sarah screaming, I want that baby. So the only thing Sarah could do was grab the blade of the knife that was coming at her with her bare hands to stop Katie from stabbing her in the stomach. And she held onto it for dear life as it tore up her hand because she's literally holding onto a blade. Yeah, I mean, who cares about the hand? Right. And now because the knife wasn't going anywhere, Katie started slamming her body into Sarah to try to get her to let go of the blade. But as hard as she pushed or slammed up against her, Sarah did not let go. And she even managed to grab the phone in the struggle while holding this blade, meaning Sarah, and she dialed 911. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. I know. She wasn't sure if the phone was connected, but she screamed for help, hoping that someone would hear her and send the police. And Katie, seeing that Sarah was calling 911, went to grab the phone, which loosened her grip on the knife. And Sarah felt Katie's grip sort of slightly release and was able to twist the knife out of Katie's hand and get control of it. Still holding the blade, oh mind you. Oh my God. Yeah. And as soon as she had the knife, she started swinging it at her to try to keep her away. Katie was blocking the door. And as she was stepping closer to Sarah, Sarah swung the knife again, but this time the blade landed in what she thought was Katie's shoulder. Katie fell back onto the love seat and was stunned that she had actually been stabbed. And she then lunged at Sarah again, but this time Sarah was able to push her away and she fell backwards and hit her head on the wall behind her. And all Katie could do at this point was sit slumped up against the wall, looking up at Sarah. And Sarah, who still had the knife and the phone in her hand, made an attempt for the front door and finally made it outside and ran as fast as a nine-month pregnant woman could run. My God, she got... So she just overpowered her. I mean, yeah. That's insane. Holding onto the blade for like what seems like a very long time. I just can't imagine getting control of a knife. That you're actively being cut up by? Yes. Yeah, but she did. I mean, adrenaline is a crazy thing. (laughs) It's a crazy world out there. But Sarah, who had finally made it outside, was absolutely hysterical, and she ran into the cold with no coat and covered in blood and still holding this bloody knife. And this was February, and it was cold. So 
that sucks that she had no coat, but that's not even the part that sucks the most, obviously, but that's just... (laughs) (laughs) But the weather. The weather was bad. Y'all ever been outside in February without a coat? That shit sucks. Kentucky? Oh, God. Lord help (laughs) you. Never mind that crazy pregnant woman who ain't pregnant Listen, trying to stab your baby it is loopy hours <laughs> up in here okay so all right pull it back together okay she still didn't have her purse or her keys with her so she ran toward the road to try to flag someone down and the first car that approached her was an old woman in a red jeep who slowed down for a moment but then sped off again because she was I'm sure terrified at what she was looking at, but Sarah screamed for the woman saying that she needed help and she needed her to call 911. And so the woman slowed the car down again and rolled down her window and told her that there was a police station down the street before rolling back her, rolling her window back up and then driving off. So with no other choice, nine month pregnant, covered in blood, Sarah started running up the hill to where this woman said the police station might be. And finally, she made it up the road into a heavily trafficked intersection, frantically waving her her arms, hoping someone would stop. And almost immediately, a dark-haired woman in a minivan with her child in the back seat pulled up and got out to check on Sarah and try to calm her down. And all Sarah could do was scream about what had just happened and that someone needed to call the police. But only moments later, a police car pulled up to the still very frantic Sarah. Scott Neely was the first officer to arrive on the scene, and he asked her if she had any weapons, and she told him that she had dropped the knife in the grass. And as medics started loading Sarah up onto a gurney to bring her to the hospital, Scott Neely told them, no, they can't take her since he needs to preserve the crime scene, and they needed to interview her now while the events were still fresh in her mind. But thankfully, the EMT told him, no, bud, we're taking this very pregnant, injured woman to the hospital right now. Yeah, dumbass. <laughs> the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. You always preserve life first. Right. They do that to even criminals. They'll send them to the hospital before they question them. Right. And before they could leave, Neely told her, you just need to tell me what happened. So she said, she came after me and I stabbed her. I stabbed her somewhere in the shoulder. I saw it. She's bleeding. And because she said this, Neely wanted Sarah to stay even more. But the EMTs again were like, no, bro. And they took her away. So that's good. Yeah, no, bro. What, I guess try and get a name out of her. But I mean, yeah, she's got to go to the hospital. Dude. Brother, she's nine months pregnant and bleeding. Let her go. Yeah. So while Neely attempted to lock down the situation where Sarah was picked up, Officer Taylor and Sergeant Busman entered the apartment and found Katie Smith lying on her back in the living room. Officers found Katie breathing, but unresponsive. And the apartment showed that there was an obvious struggle. Blood was everywhere. Furniture was turned over. There were scattered pieces of broken items everywhere. And Katie's apartment definitely looked as if she was expecting a baby soon. She had a fully stocked nursery with everything she would need for a newborn. However, Katie herself didn't appear pregnant at the time. She was laying on the floor covered in blood, but not nine months pregnant like Sarah said she was, and she was in her underwear. But so as the police kept searching through her home, they found a bloody belly suit in her closet. 
They also found a zippered pouch in Katie's room that contained surgical gloves, hemostats, surgical scissors, gauze, medical absorbent pads, and a clip designed for closing the plastic inserts on a baby bottle, but police believed that it would have been used to cut the umbilical cord. Oh, God. And as they continued to investigate, they found that Katie had registered herself on the Babies R Us website as pregnant with a listed due date of January 6th, 2005. Police found a paper in her apartment with Sarah Brady's name and due date, as well as the names and due dates of three other women. So she was clearly considering stealing other women's children if Sarah's didn't work out. And the other women's due dates were just before and just after Sarah's, so she was just the unlucky one who got picked. They believe Katie found her through the registry website and decided to come up with a fake name that was just off by one letter to make it believable when she said that packages of Sarah's had been sent to her home by mistake. It was all just by chance. Yeah. And shortly after being brought to the emergency room, Katie Smith was pronounced dead at 12.30 p.m. She had multiple stab wounds, but the lethal blow was a stab wound below the left clavicle, which caused internal bleeding in her chest. And Katie's autopsy revealed that not only was Katie not pregnant, but there was no reason to believe that she had ever been pregnant. Wow. So glad that she didn't get a hold of Sarah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm never happy about anyone dying, but... No, of course. I'm glad she didn't get to do this to anyone else. Absolutely. That's for sure. And as police delved into Katie's past, they found out that she had claimed pregnancy three additional times, none of which resulted in a baby. So who is Katie Smith? Katie Smith was born in 1983 in Independence, Kentucky to Tim and Cindy Smith, and she was their middle child. Her parents were both addicts. Her mother had a substance problem with pills and her father was an alcoholic, which led Katie and her sisters to being placed with an aunt. And throughout her childhood, she was constantly seeking attention through lying and claiming that she was sick. She actually became a regular at local hospitals and clinics. And actually, the only help Katie resisted seeking was psychological, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who has parents with that issue and gets re- like placed into a new home could probably use some psychological help. Yeah, and I mean, for Katie, like she was a pathological liar and her parents knew it. And they were like, hey, maybe you should talk to someone. And she was like, you think I'm crazy. And she would just make jokes about it. And she never actually seek or sought out help. Yeah. I mean, if you're that good at lying, you're probably quite good at lying to yourself too. Yeah, that's for sure. When Katie was in the eighth grade, she told her classmates and teachers that she was pregnant. So it started in the eighth grade and she was the middle child among her two sisters. And her 18 year old sister at the time was actually pregnant and going to doctor's visits and picking out clothes and planning a shower and getting all of the attention. And because of that, Katie made up her pregnancy to get some attention of her own. And this carried on through high school where she was constantly made fun of for wearing maternity clothes. But she, at the time, was still claiming that she was pregnant once again. So, you know, it still fit the narrative that she was wearing maternity clothes because she was pregnant. She was not pregnant. But Katie became a prolific liar and made up elaborate backstories for everything she said. And her third fake pregnancy was fake twins. Katie told anyone who would listen that she was having twins. And she even carried around an ultrasound picture from a woman who she babysat for who did actually have twins. And she tried trapping a boyfriend with this twin tail because she said that it was his babies. But when she showed him the ultrasound, he noticed that the name at the top of the picture had been cut off and he called her bluff. 
And so he was wow. like, absolutely not. Wait, how old was he? I don't know exactly this how old he was. eighth grade? No, this was after eighth grade. I mean, Katie, at the time of the attack, was 22. So she couldn't have been very old with this boyfriend tale. It was probably high school. Yeah, pretty young to call that bluff. Yeah, for sure. To be smart about it. Yeah. And at one point, Katie said that she had a child, but when she would get together with friends or family, she would make up random excuses as to why her child was absent. She would blame sickness or play dates or even bad weather as to why she didn't have her child with her. She's like, sorry, guys, it's raining. The weather. The baby can't come out. And each of these pregnancies had common explanations. Um, Just a very quick trigger warning, uh, including miscarriage, as well as stillborn deliveries or death occurring shortly after birth. And each time the family and friends were not allowed to attend doctor's appointments or later on to attend any of these funerals either. But this was obviously all fake. This was not true. And now at 22, Katie was unemployed, single, meaning no husband, And this was her fourth and final fake pregnancy, which she planned on ending with the kidnap and murder of, you know, Sarah, Brady, and her her child. But it really just ended up in her own death. So back at the hospital, Sarah's injuries were assessed, and thankfully she didn't have any stab wounds. However, she did have many bite marks and bruises all over her body, and Katie had actually almost bitten completely through one of Sarah's fingers. Wow. How about, I mean, she has stab wounds in her hands, right? Yeah, she had, like, defensive wounds and cuts from that, but she didn't have any, like, actual punctures. Like, she didn't get stabbed. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, Officer Neely informed Sarah that they needed to take pictures of her injuries for evidence. But all Sarah was concerned about was calling someone in her family to let them know what had happened, because at this point, she didn't even know if her baby was okay or not. And she also wanted family there because Katie Smith was in the same hospital as her, And even though she was told that she had security outside her room and everything would be okay, I'm sure she she still wanted a familiar face for support. A hundred percent. Yeah. But Officer Neely told her that she couldn't call anyone. So Sarah started crying. Who is this? Is this the same guy? Yeah, same guy. Sarah started crying and begging to call her mother because she was, he was treating her as if she had done something wrong. And now, on top of everything, Sarah had to be concerned with whether or not the police even believed her story because they sure weren't acting like it. Thankfully, a nice male nurse had heard this interaction, and once Neely left the room, he let Sarah use his phone to call her mother and Scott. And not long after that, they did make it to the hospital. So, shout out to that guy. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, am I under arrest? Uh... No? No. Okay, I think I can call my fucking family. How about that? Right. So Sarah was taken into the labor and delivery part of the hospital where they finally checked on her baby and doctors were surprised that Sarah wasn't in active labor. And after a long day in the hospital, doctors told Sarah that she should go home and get some rest because her heart rate was through the roof. She She just had a very traumatic event and this was not good for her or the baby. She was in the beginning stages of labor, but they said that it could still be days until she went into full-term labor. So they told her to go home. Wait, so she was in half labor? Kinda. Like the very, very beginning stages. But it still could have been. Like her water wasn't broken. She was just like, yeah. But again, Officer Neely came into the room and told her she couldn't leave because he needed to ask her a few questions. And they asked Sarah why she believed Katie Smith was pregnant which was a confusing question for Sarah because she encountered a woman who looked and acted nine months pregnant and had a full-blown nursery ready. 
but officers told her then that Katie Smith had never been pregnant and also she had died from the attack. And Sarah was completely shocked by this information because she never intended to kill Katie and she fully believed that she was pregnant. So this is very shocking information and it hit her very hard. And now even worse than that, the police were acting as if Sarah was in the wrong and had something to hide. They continued to question her about everything despite her condition. And she told them everything and her defensive wounds did match the story that she was telling, but they still intensely questioned her. At this point, both Scott and Sarah were physically and emotionally exhausted to the point of tears when Scott finally stood up and demanded the officers get out of their room. And he said that if she isn't under arrest, then this is enough and you need to get the F out. Thank you, Scott. And that's when Neely told her she needed to come down to the police station right now to continue questioning. But Scott said, absolutely not. She has been more than helpful and she needs rest. But right as they were about to leave, Sarah said that she would come down to the station to continue because she had done nothing wrong and she wanted to make that clear. See, this is the thing I hate about cops in general. Mm -hmm. One thing Mm -hmm. is that if you don't cooperate to the highest degree, then you're somehow guilty. Yeah. I'm like, that's not how the legal system actually works. No, definitely not. The presumption of innocence should be there, right? Right. I don't know. Yeah, especially in this scenario where all of her defensive wounds matched up. You found a pregnancy belly as well as like a bunch of scary shit in Katie Smith's apartment. And she's a prolific liar she's like clearly not uh well w- right <laughs> yeah so that's where i was going and the cuts on her hand mm-hmm. are from blocking the knife right and what do you think somebody who's gonna have a baby in a few weeks is just gonna go hunting like this is <laughs> no. not the demographic no. to do that yeah and so scott's brother hired sarah a defense attorney who met her at the police station, but even he was like, yeah, you don't need me. You are innocent as hell. And he left. Oh, he left? (laughs) Yeah. He was like, you seriously don't even need me, so I'm going to go, because why waste your money, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I don't know, maybe he should be there in case it's, like, going on too long. I don't know. Just a reminder of her rights. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I guess they were like, maybe this will make her look more guilty if we have a defense lawyer. I don't know. So he left. But anyway... By the end of a very long interview, the officers told Sarah that they did believe that she acted totally in self-defense and that she didn't do anything wrong. So she thought that everything should be fine after that, but unfortunately that was not the case. On February 14th, a week after her attack, Sarah made an appointment with her doctor and asked to be induced, but she was now almost two weeks two weeks past her due date, and thankfully she did not have to wait that long because she went into labor that night, and by 1.16 p.m., Sarah's healthy baby girl was born. Hell yeah. And her name is Michaela Grace, and throughout her ent- their entire stay at the hospital, she had a guard posted outside of her door to keep away any unwanted visitors, because at this point, the media was going absolutely nuts. The guard even made Scott show his ID every single time he came back into the room, which kind of became a joke because they're like, dude, I'm the father. Like, you've seen me before, but he was like... the whole memory. (laughs) Yeah. That guard literally said, who do you know here, bro? (laughs) I don't know. He's like the... He's like a goldfish. He's like, hey! Oh, can I see your ID? Right. So Sarah was so happy and... All she wanted to do was move forward with her life now that she had a newborn, but she was still bombarded with police questioning and the media. And so about a month later, 
The police had contacted Sarah to let her know that Katie may have been stalking her for a while before the attack and taken mail out of her car as well as her home. And this was troubling to Sarah because she did remember a few occasions where it seemed as if someone had gotten into their home, but they brushed it off since nothing was missing. And on one of these occasions, Sarah was actually home and heard someone on the second floor. Oh no. <laughs> right. That is my reaction exactly. No. <laughs> Although the case wasn't closed and now the fingers started to point back at Sarah. So Katie Smith's family had alleged that Sarah was going to sell her baby to Katie for $5,000. Their story was that Sarah had gone to Katie's apartment where Katie would use the surgical tools that she had to deliver Sarah's baby, which she would then resell on the black market. Oh, so pathological lying is genetic. Or something. They said, but once Sarah got to her apartment, she had changed her mind and attacked Katie. And someone else, who uh, we don't know who it is, had reported to the police that they had seen Sarah's green Jeep SUV in Katie Smith's neighborhood several times during the weeks before the attack. Okay. Which So our hard evidence is one witness uh, seeing placing, a Jeep. <laughs> seeing a green Jeep. Yeah, not even like specifically Sarah, just Does, a green Jeep. Do they know her license plate? No. Okay. Right. And then we have this completely fabricated story. Of selling her baby on the black market. That's correct. Yeah. Um, the police didn't think that this was true, the, the selling the baby on the black market. I was a little concerned, though. <laughs> they, said, they said... Uh, Sarah, one, didn't seem the type to sell her baby on the black market. And also, babies go for <laughs> minimum. They said this story doesn't check out because babies go for minimum $10,000. So. What? In what world? Yeah. Wait, is it like an actual fact or did they just like. I, I mean. Like, oh, yeah. At least 10K. I, I like can't 10 say grand. that I looked into what babies are going for on the black market, but I'll, I'm going to take it as. They're probably telling the truth, at least for the time. I don't know. I didn't look into that one. <laughs> <laughs> Could you? You don't seem like the type. Yeah, they said you don't seem like the type who would sell their baby uh, on the black market. Oh, like, th who thank does? you. Does right, right. That's a better question. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> Sarah, again, was completely outraged by this whole scenario and told police to check the phone records because Katie had only ever called her and not the other way around, and the call logs would fit Sarah's story. So they did. And it turns out that the day of the attack, four calls were made to 911, and two of them were made from Sarah. One of them was made by a concerned onlooker as Sarah had left Katie's apartment covered in blood, and then the fourth call came from Katie Smith herself, who was dying on her apartment floor. And she called 911 and told them that a woman had broken into her apartment and stabbed her. And the calls that Sarah made were hard to make out because the operator could only hear her screaming. So even till the very last second, Katie was trying to lie her way out of something. Yeah, I mean, this is not, right now was not going to be the time that she turned around. No. And she's you know. clearly not a good person, so it... Yep. Right. Um, but the police didn't find any evidence of forced entry, so Sarah breaking into her apartment was not true. And the timeline between the calls clearly showed that Katie Smith had enough time after Sarah had left her apartment to strip herself of her belly suit, hide it in her closet, and then come back to the living room where she made the 911 call. So 
it checks out. Sarah is telling the truth. Not that we didn't already know that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two, like, the nursery, mm-hmm. all of the medical equipment. Oh, literally everything. literal, like, bodysuit. Yeah, and Sarah had to deal with this kind of back and forth for months, which was terrible. But her story was also all over the news and had news outlets outside of her house all of the time trying to catch a glimpse of her, and they definitely wanted to see her baby. And Sarah just wanted everything to stop. So she was going through it. And tabloids had contacted Sarah's friends and told them that they were willing to pay big money for a picture of Sarah, and they said that they'd pay $5,000 for a picture of the baby. And some of the news stories didn't paint Sarah and her family in the best light. And things started to spiral out of control, and rumors were spreading like Scott was having an affair with Katie Smith. Okay, these people are literal scum. I forget what other story we've done where the press was egregiously like making up rumors uh-huh uh, no but it happens it happens i was like what the fuck is wrong with you though yeah uh, this makes me really mad this is like another theme yeah unfortunately that this is so maddening Mm-hmm. definitely and once that rumor started to spread that scott was cheating on her with katie smith and that she was just a scorned she's woman, dead well, right, but Hello? it's not It's not about that. It, they were making the story like, oh, Sarah killed Katie because she was jealous of the affair. Oh so once that started to spread, Sarah knew that she needed to actually go give an interview and set the story straight. So she went on Good Morning America and was shown through a taped interview from Scott's grandparents' house. And after the interview, the public perception of Sarah did definitely start to get better. And people were definitely on her side and thought that she had done exactly what she should have done in that situation, meaning kill Katie. But police still questioned her about the Jeep. And media was still swirling with rumors about the attack happening over a man or money. Finally, police concluded that if Sarah passed a polygraph test, then they would have no reason... Again, with the polygraph, they are not admissible in court yes. and do not work. But they said they that don't work. if she passed, they would have no reason to keep the case open. Uh, how? Where do you begin with that? Yes. So Sarah was advised not to take the polygraph at first because, like we just, like you just said, they are not reliable and it could make her look worse if something went wrong. But Sarah did end up agreeing to take it because... She wanted to put to rest any of these lingering allegations about her intentions or her husband's loyalty. Like, this was just out of control at this point. So on August 15th, Sarah finally took a polygraph, but after three grueling hours of questioning, the person giving the the test had to unexpectedly leave because his wife was in the hospital. So this entire test was thrown out. So now she had to schedule a second test. But as she was standing outside waiting for her ride after this first unsuccessful test, she bumped into one of the officers who was there to like watch her take her polygraph. And she finally let him have it because she was so fed up with the whole situation, which I'm sure felt very good. She like unloaded on this officer. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like should have been Neely. Yeah, I wish it was, but it wasn't. Right. But finally on August 19th, 2005, Sarah took the polygraph and passed, unsurprisingly. But even after all of that, it still took until April 29th, 2006, for police to finally close the case. And this happened in February of 2005. Maddening, the whole thing. By that point, the police said that there was no doubt in their minds that Katie Smith lured Sarah into her apartment to perform a C-section to steal Sarah's child. 
it only took them <laughs> however many months to come to that conclusion, but... What do you do for a whole year? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't what? know. Right. But even though that portion of the nightmare was over, Sarah still had to deal with her mental health at home. For months after the attack, she cried every day and was paranoid all hours of the day that someone was coming to get her. She felt immense guilt for taking Katie Smith's life, but she also had to live with not knowing what would have happened if Katie Smith had lived that day. Her mental recovery took well over a year because she was terrified that she would run into a member of Katie's family who believed that Sarah was going to sell her child to Katie and then instead killed her. And people still stared at her and knew who she was, so it was incredibly difficult to get over this situation and it didn't help her paranoia. But eventually, Sarah was able to leave Scott's grandparents' house and they moved back home to start their life as a new family of three. And through, I'm sure, lots of therapy and the support of her friends and family, Sarah did finally make peace with what happened, and she recognized that Katie Smith gave her really no choice, and she did what she had to do. Yep. And Sarah said that they did tell their daughter about what happened as she got older, and she said, quote, she handled it better than I have ever handled it. So that's good. And that is really all I have on on Sarah Brady today because this happened in 2005 and there isn't much about where is she now. And also Googling her now is kind of difficult because Jonah Hill's girlfriend is named Sarah Brady. So Oh, really? <laughs> so a bunch of articles pop up and they're like, Jonah Hill's girlfriend is... And um, I'm like, actually, it's not who I'm looking for, but thank you. Yeah, but probably a good thing. I'm Just sure... Leave this poor woman alone. Yeah, leave her alone. She's had enough media coverage. But I'm, I'm sure that she is doing well and thriving with her her baby uh yeah, michaela grace i really hope so and yeah Scott. oh you almost feel like the media should pay her reparations you know? yeah or something like that's yeah i don't know they, if that's the right word but you know what i mean yeah like they should uh, pay damages, her back or something yeah damages, damages right was this not such an open and shut case like what an outlandish story i know from her relatives like i mean i'm sure that katie was lying to them Katie has a law, a very long history with lying to her family and to everyone around her. Like there isn't a single person in her life who did not have a an atrocious uh, experience with Katie lying to them. And I didn't get into Katie's full entire past because this was already a gigantic story and it would have just gone on forever. But Katie's father was sent to prison for um, she said sexual abuse of Katie like she's alleged that or alleged that her father had sexually abused her which is still like we don't know if it's true or not but all of her siblings had said that that was untrue and he was eventually like sent out of prison because of this entire situation with Sarah and they were like she is a huge liar so we don't know if it actually was true or not and if it was then that is an awful terrible thing and I'm sure caused a lot of trauma that you know would lead to someone lying and going a little nuts so it's not like it's completely out of the question although katie is in a a very experienced liar so we don't really know but that's not the only thing that was just one of her huge pieces of her past like it very well could be so yeah no i i would be interested to know if her father went to prison like solely off of her testimony he did he did probably part of part of this book was like a good portion of this book actually was about that trial as well yeah wow yeah so it's a it's a big question mark i'm not saying it didn't happen but there's also no real proof that it did so it's just like you don't really know and katie was obviously very unwell 
Yeah. It's just yeah, a shame I mean, that she... you can't put somebody in prison if you just don't know. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just a shame that this clearly very disturbed girl could not get help yeah. or did not get help. She just... It seems like she wasn't in the best situation to receive help and she did, very much didn't seek it out. Yeah. It seems like she should have been committed uh, yeah. against her will. I mean, maybe, but... you know, she doesn't sound like she was going in on her own. Right. But as far as Sarah Brady goes and her survival, she really did that. And I'm, I'm yeah, sure I that mean, she is living happily today with her daughter and her husband and their family. And at least I hope. Yeah. But, I mean, what I she mean, did is no, nothing short of a miracle. Also, to think about the fact <laughs> that Sarah fought off Katie and won who Katie wasn't even actually pregnant. So she definitely had like an advantage over Sarah. Yeah. Like she was, Sarah was very much pregnant and Katie was not at all. So what? (laughs) Like, yeah. Anyway, well, point being Sarah Brady is an incredible survivor story and an incredible woman who did what she had to do for her child and her own life. So yeah. Power to her through some shit. That's like, yeah having a newborn is hard enough and then you know it's not like she just had a newborn she had uh scott's son too yeah scott's son as well and all the media and the police coming after her she went through enough yeah so i'm honestly kind of glad that there isn't a where is she now because i'm sure she's great and she doesn't need anyone up in her business yeah don't find her leave her alone (laughs) yeah she's been found enough but you know if she did like put out a little facebook post (laughs) like you know everything's going good right scott's son graduated college I hope. Michaela's in high school, probably, right? (laughs) Probably. But anyway, that is the story of Sarah Brady. Whew. What is your good thing? You go first. Okay. My good thing is that after a long day of travel, we are finally home. It feels good to be back in our apartment, and I'm tired, and I'm excited to go to sleep, which I can do soon. That's my good thing. What's yours? Head empty. (laughs) Head Um... empty. No thought. Just sleep. I didn't get COVID. That's for sure. That's you know. that's a good thing. Yeah, things are <laughs> things are getting a little spooky again. So spooky. maybe stay inside stay and get your boosters. Yep. And stay inside maybe more than you want to right now, or just stay safe. Bottom line, glad you got, glad you didn't get COVID. Yep. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram and keep track of all the pictures we post, of all the stories we talk about, follow us on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival, including traveling with a newborn, <laughs> send it to us at yep. notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes because sense. Because that makes sense. And we have a TikTok that is not today podcast. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.